Okay, hello, greetings, friends. It is Monday, April third, and we've got Chapo coming at you. Um, just in, a, in just a little bit, we'll be talking to Ettinger Mentum from Substack about uh, polling, politics, winners, losers, uh, picks. We're going to pick them all. Uh, but before before we get to that, obviously, we are still the, the news is still being convulsed by the impending indictment of Donald Trump. Um, he's landed. In New York today, and I'm hearing from my sources that Daimyo Trump will turn himself in tomorrow morning to the lower Manhattan office of the Shogunate Executioner. <laughs> um, there he will be presented um, his favorite meal, a McDonald's filet fish sandwich. Uh, I, I have spoken to sources inside the Trump camp that he has already composed his warrior's death poem. But after receiving his, uh, his last meal, uh, he will don a ceremonial white kimono. And then he will be presented in front of his retainers with the uh, ceremonial tray holding the Tonto blade wrapped in cloth. Uh, from there, Trump will begin to uh, make a left to right wise cut on his lower abdomen before getting to a turning point, turning the blade back around and beginning to come right left to left across. Uh, it is at that point when which his second will deliver the uh, ceremonial killing stroke. Uh, it's a highly skilled executioner. So they will be performing the cut that leaves a single flap of flesh still attached to your head. So it will sort of prop itself back up um, for the sake of appearances. But what can we say? I'm just looking forward to reading his uh, death poem. I actually I actually heard that um, Trump is planning to do something where he's going to be there with Barron um, and he's going to put two objects in front of Barron. And one of them is going to be (laughs) Elton John's uh, landmark album, Rocket Man. And the other object will be a book by Thomas Chatterton Williams about ending wokeness. And if Baron crawls towards the Elton John album, they will travel the road with no master seeking to right wrongs. But if he crawls towards the book about wokeness, they will both be executed. So if you're, you know, if you're watching the 2024 race, what Baron does here is very important, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you never you never know, though. Look, I mean, like, it's happened before. It could happen this time. But right before presenting himself to do this ritualized uh, disembowelment, he could take off his ceremonial white kimono to reveal he is actually wearing the holly oak, the holly cock crest of the Biden Imperium, which no blade can strike. Yeah. And then he will, he will begin to walk the demon way in hell to the 2024 election. Yeah, I think that... That's exactly what Gerald Ford did. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, Trump's impending uh, ritual suicide. Obviously, there's uh, there's but we we're, we got we got Edinger Mentum here. You know mm-hmm. this this is the the young gun the young gunners out here uh, in the game of uh, political political predictions. So I got I got to ask you, the young savage, um, will, like okay, like will this help Trump as much as people are hyping it? Like you know, like apparently he wants a big a big lots of cameras perp walk. You know he's going to be grinning ear to ear in that mugshot. Mm-hmm. Is, is this going to, I mean, you already see evidence of this in polls already, uh, like juicing him over yeah. DeSantis? Well, the, the sad thing about this is, and this is going to be in the historiography of it, everybody's going to say that, oh, it was the indictment, because he's going up by like 20 points in the polls. He started making gains like two weeks ago. It was well before the indictment, like it was even in the news. So it's always going to be credited to this indictment and not his genius nickname of DeSanctimonious finally landing, which it sucks <laughs> that that actually did work. I think it's that that the pudding thing, mm-hmm. the pudding, yeah. the pudding thing was like that was, you know, 
thumbtacks in DeSantis's tires. Yeah. That really slowed him down. Rupert Murdoch deployed some British journalists to help DeSantis fight the pudding accusations, <laughs> and it did not work. What was that? It was Pierce he ate Morgan, puddings with his hands. <laughs> he ate pudding with his bare hands. No, no, well, how did the yeah. British journalists defend him? He was like, and let's find, let's dispel the pudding rumors for, for, for <laughs> once and all, finally. And DeSantis went, I wouldn't even eat pudding. It's sugar. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shut the fuck <laughs> up. <laughs> it's sugar. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, he said he that. Went, yeah, he went. He he said it's sugar, man. That's the worst thing after silly season. <laughs> yeah. Just awful. Actually, awful. no. I I figured it was silly season. After he said silly season, he started tanking. <laughs> silly season, folks. <laughs> yeah. Like Uncle Arthur on Bewitched. Mm-hmm. Someone made a good yeah. point that he sa- he has the same voice as George Santos. yeah he does (laughs) well me and you like talked about this long before it really heated up that DeSantis has a problem he's like even when he was closer in in numbers to Trump even when like people were trying to make it seem like it would actually Mm -hmm. be a contest that favored DeSantis DeSantis has and has this problem if he's gonna go for it that he can get attacked by Trump, but he is in this impossible position where he's supposed to defend mm-hmm. Trump, obviously on indictments, on most things. He went further for Trump on indictments. But he can't really attack him that that yeah. well or that harshly. He can't attack him at all because this is something that always befuddled me when I saw him getting like a ton of hype and even leading in the polls. Because like, there's not really a theory of the case for DeSantis. Like you can't like break from Trump, like electorally trying to run a campaign against him, trying to beat him and then try to replicate him on policy and like not just policy, but like his own political destiny. Like he, it's like DeSantis like still has to support Trump for president while running against Trump. And like he's supporting Trump more than Trump is supporting <laughs> himself. Like, <laughs> like he had that post immediately out about where he said, like, we will like do the, the second notification crisis. We will not honor the indictment. We're going like full like um like John C. Calhoun on the, on Biden. We're gonna like not do this. And then Trump said like Yeah, I'm going. I'm I'm taking the mugshot next week. So now he's just like saying that like I'm gonna cause like a constitutional crisis for something Trump didn't even want to do. And I'd like to think that Trump baited that out of him on purpose so we can call DeSantis a lawless hack at the debate. <laughs> what if, the the one road that he could have taken. And and mm-hmm. hugely risky, and and which is why he didn't do it. But when we look at how boxed in he is and how fucked he is, given the parameters that he's set for himself, what if he had just come out and been like, "Fuck Donald Trump, he's a fucking mm-hmm. loser. He's yeah. a bitch. He sucks. He's a whiny, corrupt shit." Like just go like mm-hmm. embrace the entire like right critique of Trump and just attack him. Yeah, that could have now, changed things. Like yeah. he had to like actually step out in a way that he, I don't think he's capable of. But like you, I did see that I have like I have sources on the ground. I follow. I like keep track of like fifty accounts called shit like Roman Hruskastan or like um, uh, Elizabeth Dole Enjoyer. And these people, like you learn, <laughs> you learn more about like GOP politics from these guys than you could like doing anything. Even like the media watchers who watch like fifty hours of William F. Buckley, they're not like getting as much raw info. These people were so mad at Trump after the midterms. They were so mad at him. They're like this fat loser. He's doomed us. We're never going to win election again. We're going to like we can't like win any single swing state. This guy's like he sucks. And that was a lot of what led them to DeSantis. Like if you read Bill Mitchell, the kindest soul in all of Republican politics, that's exactly his thing. He's like ruthlessly pragmatic. He's like Trump's a loser. 
DeSantis wins. And there is like an electoral argument for that. DeSantis's performance was very impressive. How legitimate it was, I am a little skeptical. But like nobody cares about that. Nobody follows the midterms. Nobody's like there's never been an instance in history I can think of where like people change the entire direction of their party based on like not only the results in the midterms, but interpreting the results in the midterms in a particular way that allowed them to understand why it was bad. Like nobody really cares about that besides the elite Republicans. And like, I don't think that's the case you can really articulate. That's like, even if you went that route, the people would even understand. You can't win an election with the guys like Slade Gorton enjoyer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I have also like through you found a bunch of those utterly stultifying accounts yeah we're all they're 12 all, years old by the way yeah, yeah, yeah. You can vote. Dude, all, I had all a, of them were born in 2010 and they're all named like mark kirk stan <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, i like i like there was one or somebody who like um like uh talked about how they were like getting spanked by their dad and i found an old tweet by them we were talking about how spanking is good <laughs> so it was like doing like a like some shit with like trump where he said i hate the electoral college but for like somebody like <laughs> In middle school, <laughs> Josh, that's like uh, that was like a couple of weeks ago. I, I I saw I saw accounts from like people who were, I don't know, nineteen or twenty years old, and that's like the oldest mm-hmm. I could imagine them being. Being like, I I will never forgive Jane Fonda for what she did in the, the, the anti-aircraft yeah. battery. It's just like that was yeah. that was sixty years ago. <laughs> yeah, like, and that was the best thing that's ever happened. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, but, Josh, like. Uh, I just going back to the midterms for a second. I thought it was interesting that they it, it was very convenient for like that type of Republican mm-hmm. to pin this all on Trump. And certainly yes. like Trump is like an electoral albatross, especially in midterms. Uh-huh. But it it seemed it was a coping like, mechanism. It was yeah, absolutely like, coping mechanism. Absolutely. Be- because like, they don't want to admit that like their broader project they've been working on like for the past 40, 60, like a hundred years is a complete dud. Once they put it in the practice, it's easier just to blame it on this one stupid guy. Granted, he is stupid. That, it, that part of it is correct, but it's not him. This is I your mean, thing. He might be stupid, but he was smart enough to know that it's probably a bad idea mm-hmm. to repeal Roe versus Wade. If yeah. yeah. Republicans well, to yeah. win elections. That was very underrated point. Also in December where Trump outright, like went out against the pro-life people. It was funnier how he had a better grasp on what happened that than any of the professionals. But that's like that like kind of moment, like after the elections, keeping track of that, it, that is really informed how I think of the Republicans right now. I want to get into the um, the, the, the the Dobbs effect and its mm-hmm. uh, on, ongoing importance for upcoming elections. But I mean, I guess just like the last thing I wanted to ask you about uh, Trump DeSantis, like Matt outlined one road not taken for DeSantis because he is a coward. And that's just simply go directly at Trump that A, he's a loser. B, mm-hmm. he's a whoremonger. Uh, C, I mean, go down the list. Like, yeah, I want to pull out his Epstein connections. I mean, like winning on, Florida like, by 20 is kind of like that's impressive. He won Miami Dade County by 11 points. He won Palm Beach County. It was like really like impressive stuff, like just objectively. But he never even really talks about that. He just talks about his stupid policy agenda that like everybody, every Republican governor in the country is just copied from him. Like, that's not what's unique about you. Like, you have freaking, like, I don't know glove slave owner in like arkansas doing that like the difference with you is that you won off that like make that case he never really says it but even then that's not compelling like beto tried that and it didn't work well i mean like i would say this hold on the 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 second possible uh, like open route to desantis that i'm seeing 
is just like, I mean, it seems like there's been a lot of a little bad blood already for him even like deigning to run for president. But like, mm-hmm. doesn't it make the most sense for both of them that he just auditioned to be Trump's VP, which he will hate and he'll have to eat like a, like a buffet of shit to get there. But I mean, he has no soul or decency. So like, mm-hmm. that, yeah. that, you know, that, that shouldn't that shouldn't affect him too badly. Yeah, that was anticipated. The funny thing about that is that um, there would have been some legal complications about that because legally you can't have a president and a vice president from the same state. That's very not if you want don't not if you want the electoral college votes of that state which yeah that's true that's That's the specific part yeah so Trump Mm -hmm. would have had to move back to New York to do that well this certainly complicates things for that option (laughs) (laughs) he could have he would just been like fleeing like like to like some random red state this is something it's like a crackpot (laughs) thing I always said I always felt like Trump should have just run for senator in like some like I don't know Wyoming or something. So he could have just been like in politics forever. Like that's like a really old thing that presidents just don't do anymore. But I feel like they should do that. There's nothing that says you can't. They'll still be able to stick around. Yeah, the last be- person <laughs> to do that was Hillary. And specifically mm-hmm. because that was like her nerd, like Goldwater girl. Like she would have mm-hmm. been, she would have been, if Hillary was born in 2009, she would have been on electoral Twitter. Absolutely. A- a- as um, Tom Melanowski, you- um, Stan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Barbara Milkolsky respecter. Mm-hmm. That's when she yeah. reaches high school and abandons the GOP. Mm-hmm. She would have been one of those people who's like my political uh, progression. Age nine, monarchist. <laughs> age t- yeah, age age fourteen, age 10, conservative right. Republican. Yeah, fourteen, Strasserite. Fifteen, uh, uh, Gonzalez. Sixteen, uh, Simpson Bowles obsessive. Yeah, um, but yeah, Hillary. Hillary was the last person mm-hmm. who did that. I do. This is like for totally forgotten now. It's been subsumed by the DeSantis Trump rivalry. But do you remember in like late 2021 when uh-huh. Republican operatives were suggesting that the House should elect Trump as Speaker? Oh, yeah. I, they should have done that. Yeah, I still think they should have. There was like you could bet on him in betting markets for him to be Speaker. The the thing about Hillary that you mentioned, it's always so funny to me that she thought that the route to being President was Secretary of State. Like she's fucking Henry Clay, like fucking Thomas Jefferson. Who do you think you are? What year do you think it is? Secretary of State and Senator from New York. Senator yeah. from the state of New York. Yeah. Literally I only mean, happens 200 years ago or in And it didn't even work back then. Everybody got pissed yeah. at them when they tried that. <laughs> There's a strategy that like fucking like from the era of good feelings didn't even work back then. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so yeah, complicated for Trump. Uh, he'll he'll be moving to New York, upstate mm-hmm. New York. Austin is what I'm talking about, folks. Yeah. But I gotta say, I, I like I, I think it's funny that he's gonna be fingerprinted and mugshotted tomorrow. But like, I would mm-hmm. not be surprised if he skates on this on the on this case. I would not be it's surprised not a, if this it's case, not actually if this case charge. completely falls apart. Like, it's easily the weakest saying, charge. I was like reading through the article about it, and it's like they're like, oh, he paid with like his own money for the hush money stuff, but it helped his campaign. So it was campaign donations that weren't done right. By that standard, literally anything you do that's not like starving yourself to death is a campaign donation. (laughs) (laughs) But then you have the Georgia case where he's legally like, yeah, you need to um, just get the exact number of votes so I win by a single vote. And he just had that on tape to the secretary (laughs) of state. And it's like they're like, uh, yeah, we still we're still working on that one. Like they can lock up every single rapper in the entire state. But they, they don't have anything against Trump in that. Like, they're not using their resources right in Fulton County. Do you remember when, like, Rudy was on tape? Like, he butt-dialed a reporter, and it was mm-hmm. just in the middle of one of his, like, sm- like disgusting, smoke-filled meetings mm-hmm. at a cigar bar where he's like, 
how are we going to get more money from the UAE? <laughs> like, <laughs> like they were just on tape discussing discussing extortion attempts. Yeah, something and, like, like that. Lobbying ops. Something it's like, like that happened every like two months under the Trump administration. And there was just never any closure for any of it. Yeah. Like the, I, like I just tweeted it out thing that Don Jr. just tweeted out. Nothing ever resulted from him just tweeting that out. I'm haunted and, by it. And you know, like I'm uh, I'm not trying to be like a, a contrarian here. Like Donald Trump should be in prison. And he and mm -hmm. like honestly, like a politically motivated prosecutions are good and we yeah. should have more of them. It's good to set the but, precedent. I think that yeah. was like it was a good tone setter. It's like establishing the run. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like, uh, so like, yeah, like uh, Trump should be in jail for any number of things. But like, to your point, it does seem like they chose the weakest case because it has the least, it's like the least consequential to our democracy or to like mm -hmm. the world in general. They're just like, yeah, like him paying hush money to this uh, porn star. Yeah, that that's a good point. Celebrity Apprentice, you know, like, whereas you said, like the Georgia example is just like, he's like, hey, could you please steal this election for me? Yeah, they'll like put him in like a, like a, freaking like chain gang if he ever enters the state lines if they can get that charge through with new york i'll just probably have to pay a fine for like bad bookkeeping yeah yeah i mean like I, where were these people when rod Blagojevich and george ryan two mm -hmm. illinois executive chief executives were politically prosecuted that's true that's uh blago and the trump connection is so fascinating to me i like to think like because trump was a democrat for 10 years I think I'd like to think he was a Blago Democrat and he left the party after they arrested him. <laughs> <laughs> Timeline syncs up. It does. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing DeSantis might run on Trump against the fact that he was a yeah. Democrat for as long as he was. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, basically, I, I think the best we're going to get out of this is just tomorrow when he turns himself in. And mm -hmm. sadly, America, fun. America will now join the ranks of banana republics like Israel, France, Italy, Illinois. South Korea, Japan, <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> yeah. As, you know, prosecuting former heads of state for things unrelated to, well, matters of state. Yeah. I want to move on now to like a big piece you just did uh, forecasting the 2024 election. And like the yeah. headline is you have it's like the country is leaning Democratic. But like like the, the real point of the piece is that the Dobbs decision has like essentially in your reading erased any structural advantage that the GOP once had in the mm -hmm. Electoral College. Could you talk a little yeah. bit about that? Well, the point is there, and this is like the way I look at it is like a kind of like a bit of like an esoteric viewing of the states. I'm not like saying states are necessarily leaning one way or the other, but it's like, what does the map look like if you have like more of a neutral or just slightly Democrat or Republican leading national environment? Like, what is the bias towards in that case? And for the past two elections, it's been heavily Republican leaning. There are states that like uh, Biden are barely won, but the, while he was winning by four points nationally. So like, you could have had like a totally like even national vote, like no advantage one side or the other. And Trump would be winning Michigan and like Wisconsin by four. No, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin by four. Uh, what I saw from Dobbs is that the environment last year in 2022 was Republican leaning, not by a lot, but by like it was like by about one or two points. But they were still losing in all of these swing states. And what that it, it's obviously bad to lose in swing states in any circumstances. But it's worse to lose in swing states and you're winning nationally slightly like what happened with Hillary. So the problem for Republicans is that like there's a significant indication and it makes sense if you take the Dobbs stuff seriously like you should. 
that like like the impacts of it haven't been even across the board. Like obviously Florida and New York didn't really care about it. The states that care the most about Dobbs are disproportionately swing states. And that's like both North and South. So it's like, it mattered. It's like made a huge difference in Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, a little bit in Georgia, but not a ton. And all these states like are like just less Republican than they were previously. And even if the rest of the map is the same, that makes winning the presidency a lot more difficult for them. I mean, like, you th- I mean, like, obviously, like, uh, you know, the, the removal of a, of a human right that's existed for like several mm-hmm. generations in, the, like, in American life is obviously going to have huge consequences. But do you think like in terms of the movement in these swing states, it, it's sort of a factor about like when uh, when making abortion illegal is all theoretical, there's mm-hmm. a good number of people who call themselves pro-life or at least would have no problem voting for a pro-life politician because they know it's all sort of like theoretical and it's established uh-huh. law, blah, blah, blah. But it's then now exactly when it's like in New York. Yeah. And like and like and, and now that it's like a, a real thing and like these are like, you know, they're now like half the country, like women are facing prosecution for trying to obtain an abortion. Like any Republican, anyone with an R next to their name, much less little than one that's like, you know, staunchly pro-life, which is all of them um, like that, that. That's no longer a theoretical choice that you're making that you can overlook because you want low taxes or like limited mm-hmm. regulation or whatever. Absolutely. And the problem with them is that it's never bad to have a situation like that in, under any circumstances. You never want to have this overriding issue hanging around your party like a scarlet letter. But the, what's especially at Republicans is that this will never go away. This is going to be a permanent issue, just like how like pro-choice when like it was established that never stopped being an issue for Democrats. It's this isn't like um like COVID or even like the war on terror where it was like really like potent for a brief period, but it had a timer. Like obviously the pandemic is going to end. The war is going to end one way or the other. Like this is just a policy issue that's perpetually going to be relevant. And it's just always going to haunt them in every election. And people aren't used to thinking about like shifts like that are that permanent. It was really resistant to the way a lot of people thought about stuff. Like there are like really infamous, like kind of just, the, the amount that people overlooked it in 2022 was unbelievable. Like there was one like really high level guy who just like tried to prove that abortion stopped being an issue. And I, this is se- like seriously what he did. Post Dobbs, he, he tried to say that abortion stopped being an issue. Yeah, he said it was an issue immediately after they did the ruling. But people stopped caring about it like it was a fucking <laughs> like it was like the Bin Laden raid or something like it just lost salience. And like his proof of that was that he got Google Trends. And he Google he put in economy and he put in abortion and abortions stopped being Googled as much after a couple of weeks. And it, that was proof that people care more about the economy than abortion. <laughs> no, people are trying to hide it. And he people put this like in the official New York Times graphic and it was just a Google Trends graphic. Oh, my God. Well, no, that, wait, he should have known is that in states where it's now illegal, people were searching abortion, but with the A as an ampersand to, yeah. to avoid. <laughs> yeah. Or the idea about that just like just searching abortion why would you just search abortion <laughs> yeah i it, it i think that like almost everyone almost everyone who professionally you know either is a pollster or watches polls or makes these types of types of prognostications they um lost any ability to see anything outside of a 24-hour news cycle mm-hmm. they had got i mean and it's an easy mistake to make because yeah that is almost everything in the last like seven or eight years really yeah, i have some sympathy last for, for like a week max but yeah. it, it that doesn't mean that that's going to be the only thing it's still possible for there to be enormous shifts obviously yeah. 
Biden still hasn't recovered from Afghanistan. It's been a year and a half now, and he still is like at forty percent because of that. Like it's, and I have sympathy for that. I understand why people feel that way because it's like after watching everything with Trump and just having it beaten over your head, like this thing you think is really important, people don't care. They don't care about it. Your, your perspective is wrong. There's just the, like people are kind of like whipped into like not like really trusting like their own instincts on stuff like that. But I still like I I can understand where it comes from. But I don't I thought for people who like do this as a profession, it was really really lazy. Yeah. I mean, like we, we we saw the results in the midterms, which is like a like a historically poor showing for the Republicans, or like mm-hmm. any any part or any party out of the out of power going into a midterm election, at least of of, of recent vintage. But like, okay, like I don't know if you saw New York Magazine this week, but they have a big headline that says "Abortion Wins Elections," or uh-huh. I suppose criminalizing abortion wins elections for Democrats. Mm-hmm. But like, I was struck by um, in in the midterm elections just how little Democrats actually ran on abortion. Like, so, I mean, it seems like it had this huge effect, but Democrats were able to take advantage of it mostly by not really campaigning or talking on it. Like, do you, do you see evidence of that changing or would that like or would talking about it like or, or making it a, like, you know, a, a quote unquote culture war issue in an election that you have to like go back and forth on? Does that sap the electoral power of this or is this just cowardice on the behalf of the Democrats who should be out there? you know, like directly confronting this this monstrous, uh, you know, situation. I think Biden was very kind of weak on it. His response to it was kind of baffling at the time. And I think it depended on the candidate, like in the swing states, especially where they had these really impressive showings, there were like a lot of there was a lot of focus on like abortion. Like I remember like seeing ads. I live like in my state for the Herschel Walker race. There was stuff about how like he opposed it all the time, like in Michigan, like they had a whole referendum on abortion. They timed specifically like the gay marriage referendums in 2004 to coincide with the election to boost them. The only candidate I think notably didn't do it was the governor of Kansas, who is a Democrat, because they were under the impression people would care more about the economy, which is a bit strange to see like after like the referendum there, like the abortion won 60 percent of the vote there. But uh, she ended up winning re-election, So like, what do I know? I, I think with um Biden, there is like kind of like this, obviously he's not a great messenger for it. And he is, I think there's a bit of kind of personal vanity on the White House's part to like really focus a lot on like the bills they pass because they want to feel like they have some legacy. But I, I do think it's overthinking it a lot. Um, the, the infrastructure bill, like that's the, it, yeah. It, yeah, well, oh, that's on one side of the scale. And then like the criminalization of abortion is goes on the other. I wonder what people are going to mm-hmm. remember about Biden's tenure in office. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's I get like the ego part of it, but it's like it don't make this too complicated. This it's like it's not always this. You don't need to think about it too hard. Like that's been the case historically. Like the biggest shifts have just been something that's just obvious and hammering on that. Well, I mean, like and speaking of obviousness, I mean, like like you mentioned, like that this issue is not going to go away because, mm-hmm. you know, for the, for the foreseeable future, abortion will remain illegal and increasingly more and more illegal, even if you don't live in a state that's like, you know, deep red or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess like my question is like, you know, like by, by a 70-30 split, you know, Americans would prefer, they did not want to see Roe v. Wade overturned and would prefer abortion to remain illegal for those seeking its service. But here's the deal, like, with the way the court system is now, with the federal courts and the Supreme Courts and like these, uh, you know, like or, or judges in Texas or whatever who are making or like taking cases that uh, either like where they do rule in a way that affects the entire nation or is basically by like judicial fiat removing even more rights like the right to, uh, you know, the morning after pill or things like that. Like 
will, will this matter for Republicans? Like, oh. I mean, like, because like, just how just how unpopular can something get when they have their bony claws over like every every choke point of like either the you know a state elections or the court system in this country? Well, and, like, and if so, what will that mean for like you know our politics going forward? Like for the policy, um, I don't know. It's it's like these types of things are very long term. Republicans, it took them decades to be able to get rid of this. And like, that's just the nature of the court system. Like if you're going to go totally by the book, it's going to take you decades to um, uh, like overturn this. The, the thing I think um, that is kind of interesting is, and I think a bit overlooked because the courts obviously do decide tons of policy, but they really only do so because there's such an absence of policy making from Congress over the past 20 years. Like they had the really big like ruling like about the EPA last summer. Like that, and that was supposed to be really big, but really all that ruling said was that like the e- like the Congress never enumerated that the EPA had this right. So in the big like reconciliation bill that they passed, they enumerated the EPA did have that authority, and it made the court decision moot. Like obviously they can try to do a new case and go farther on that, but like there's like a certain point where like if you try to just like overturn like stuff like the Commerce Clause, you risk like kind of going after the goose laying the golden eggs. Are they stu- stupid enough to do that? Like, probably, but it's definitely not what they prefer. They prefer it to be like, I think their idea was that they would get this passed. It wouldn't necessarily be all that popular, but like it wouldn't affect them electorally. They'd still like maintain power, legislative and judicial levels. Uh, but it hasn't turned out that way. And their strategy isn't necessarily uh, calibrated for that. And their legal uh, philosophy is definitely not calibrated for it. Because a lot of the stuff in the Dobbs decision assumes that they'll have a pliant Congress. It leaves an opening, actually, for codifying Roe v. Wade, like, through law. It was never actually done so. Uh, but maybe they could just do, like, a case where they just overturn that law. But that would require them to set a new precedent. And they're very egotistical people. Like, they'll exercise power if they have it. But, like, they've left themselves kind of, like, they've had their guards down in some uh, instances and... I don't think that they've really anticipated a lot of what happened. I, I you know, it related to this is um, another piece you have on Substack that looks mm-hmm. at the the net effect of um, like of, of anti-trans uh, rhetoric and policy proposals and just making um, gender issues, especially at the school level, like red meat that like heretofore would seem like a ready-made issue for like right-wing red meat you know you shovel that out it riles people up you put democrats in the position of defending stuff that sounds weird and then hey like you're laughing you're having lunch but like i mean you go through it piece by piece about how like virtually everyone who tried to sign on for this in the midterm elections ate shit on it Mm -hmm. what do you think is going on over there like i mean is has the american public consciousness just shifted so fast like since the um obergfeld decision legalizing gay marriage that everyone just sort of has this attitude of like oh like gay people are just a normal part of american society and then like from there it's just like not too far a leap to say well it's the same is true for trans people like how did how did the like the anti-trans agenda of of this current republican election like how did that how did that become such a disaster for them yeah, well, what I write about, like, and I went back to the history for this, not just in 2022, but going back to, like, 2015 when this started, and it was a response to Obergefell, like, um, they needed a new wedge issue, like, not just electorally, they felt like they needed it, but, like, I think mentally, they had to feel like they were going after the libs on something. With um, 
like, I don't think that people's mindset is like, I don't think anything has really changed since Obergefell. Stuff has changed since like 2004, but like it was mostly during the 10 years when gay marriage just miraculously became super popular. I still don't even really know how that happened. Like that was very strange. Like that usually issues don't move that quickly. I mean, I think people, I mean, like yeah. in my personal opinion is I think people were already there. I think they were just waiting for some uh, official body to like sanction what they already are believed to be the case. They were just gonna be like, oh, mm -hmm. now it's okay to say it. But I think people were sort of cowed by this like, imaginary impression that it was like much less popular than it actually was and then yeah. once the supreme court stepped in and then everyone was like oh it's like it's legal now i think that like everyone just sort of like were able to like uh you know uh, just admit openly or come out if you will of of, of an attitude that mm -hmm. i think most people had had for quite some time well i think um the added the popular opinion actually did predate the court a lot of the reason why the court actually did rule the way that they did was because gay marriage became really popular like in the early 2010s so just like the attitudes have always been the same there, which changes is that Republicans like have are constantly convincing themselves of like shadow boxing with reality, like that they like, no, this is we're going to go back to 2004. We're going to have an in. We're going to like be able to get all the socially conservative minorities on our side this time. We just this is the finally the one we're going to get all the barstool conservatives or whatever the hell they came <laughs> up for that. Uh, there are a, a species of South Park conservatives. They were like mm -hmm, the Pokemon yeah. evolution of the South Park conservatives. No, yeah, like that's the barstool like their, conservatives. It's a huge part of their mythology and like their self image. And uh, like it changed from being about gay people to being about trans people. And you can really notice like it hasn't it didn't like there are a ton of examples I give throughout the piece like the North Carolina 2016 gubernatorial election and like the Kentucky gubernatorial election, even the Alabama Senate race. I think Roy Moore just outright said like and this was after like the like the off year elections there. He just said transgenders don't have rights. Uh, <laughs> that's what I believe. And that even that didn't work in Alabama. So nothing about like the politics has really like been revealed since nor the North Carolina race. It's just like Republicans just like they want to believe that it works. And it like their kind of mindset has gotten so like kind of backed into a corner with what they can even like believe in or express. They like just keep on convincing themselves that this works. It keeps on losing. Nothing really changes, but it's what they want to believe. It's really similar. Like I a lot of what I say about the Stacey Abrams phenomenon, and I'm sure we'll get to that later, is that she told people what they wanted to hear. The anti-trans people is the exact same psychology, but with a different party. And uh, you also note in your piece, like the something I, I, I alluded to uh, on a previous episode, like it's it's interesting to contrast, like, and you have a very funny rundown of like quotes mm -hmm. from people who like lost winnable elections, stridently talking about you know girls' sports or whatever. Mm -hmm. That Trump, uh, Trump himself has been sort of uh, I don't know much more cowed or much more um, hesitant to engage in like being anti-gay and being anti-trans. Look, he's no, he's no, he's no ally. But oh, like, yeah. I mean, how is how is you see Trump? Like, I mean, he like he has been either he, he's been cagey about this in a way that, for instance, DeSantis hasn't. Oh, yeah. Well, like one of the parts of the story that like I went through, like there's kind of this main character in the second half of the piece. Uh, this guy, Terry Schilling, who is just this fascinating figure. Uh, he's the son of a former Republican congressman from Illinois um, of nine siblings. Um, a childhood friend of his actually messaged me um, a couple of weeks ago and said that when they were kids, they used to try to show porn to him all the time. Uh, but that's like kind of his background. And he just like is was really helpful for me in this piece because every time I would go to like look up like an election, like and like what happened with like the rhetoric on this, he'd always just be there saying like, 
We're using this as a test run for the next year's election so we can prove that anti-trans rhetoric works and then it doesn't work. And then the next year he's like, it didn't work last time, but we're going to get it to work this year. And then it doesn't work again. <laughs> and like there was this like really interesting piece from Politico literally about him and how the Trump campaign in 2020 like just wasn't buying anything that he was selling. And he was just like, you know, I think it's still going to work. I'm just going to do it even though they don't like it. Uh, like Jared and Ivanka were really hard against it. Like even Pat McCrory, like the guy who signed the bathroom bill and lost like in 2016, like the only Republican in a Trump state to lose, like as an incumbent, uh, even he was there like, you guys, we got to stop this. It doesn't work. But he just plowed ahead with it. And then there was this sort of like kind of leadership vacuum after like January 6th. And he wrote a whole like little history of how like Republicans like need to go anti-woke. And it was what they wanted to hear. So this guy who has done nothing but lose elections for four years just told them what they wanted to be hearing, and they went along with it because they have nothing else. I mean, like, if we take their point of view seriously for a second, Mm -hmm. is it like, I mean, like, I think they would say that they have uh, have no choice but to, like, engage Mm -hmm. on this issue because they're fighting, like, a a battle for civilization. Yeah. And I got to say, like, to give them credit, if, like, going back to the Obergefell decision— like the legalization of gay marriage, they said it would represent an existential threat to what they see as civilization. And if you're talking about like the the rather dramatic shift in public opinion about gay rights or just the mm-hmm. gay relationships, I mean they're kind of right. And like you know the trans issue as well, like does pose some fairly uh, cr- crucial and existential threats to their view of like you know a rightly ordered society. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something I touch on also. Like, it's not just that, like, he really touched on all their anxieties and fears and told what they wanted to hear. These, like, all the hatchet men from, like, the Bush era, the guys who, like, came up with stuff like the Max Cleland ads, those guys are gone. They're either dead or they just, like, became epic Lincoln Project guys and are, like, living, like, perpetual cycle of um, doing Matt Schlapp stuff every day. Um, <laughs> like, those guys aren't there. So all they have left are people like Matt Walsh, who were like educated, like as conservatives, grew up as conservatives, are professional conservatives, never engage with anybody who's not a conservative. And like if they do, they're just arguing with them and they don't really know anything besides just the press forward on this. And they think it has like these really high level stakes. So in their mind, engaging on it, even though it's a loser issue, is virtuous. You're standing up for your beliefs against like the broader society being wrong, but like it. It's not helping them. It is It is sort of like um, not a complete mirroring, but there are echoes of, you know, we, we've, we've talked about how, you know, first Josh Hawley seemed mm-hmm. like a Republican Elizabeth Warren, and now it's... It, they're all it's, Elizabeth re- Warrens now. They're all, exactly. They're all Elizabeth Warren because they all have the exact same problem that Warren had, which is um, a too internet-y of a campaign. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think you hit the nail on the head pointing out how the the current purveyors of their message, the their biggest mouthpieces are people who have just been around other conservatives online their entire lives. They have mm-hmm. no idea how to do anything but to froth up people who are already on their side. There's no persuasion. And, you know, they're it's like drug addicts. They um they the supply has to get purer and purer to amp people up. So yeah. when you're in these Republican circles and people are already into it, they need to be amped up with like graphic depictions of bottom surgery and all these things that like, (laughs) yeah, like if you go up to normal voters and talk to them about this, you're going to freak them out. If you go up to like someone who in a normal environment, all things being equal in a 
textbook thing that pe- whatever people are using to predict the last midterms, um, someone who should lean Republican and you're going up to mm-hmm. them and talking about sissy hypno. Yeah. You know, what do you how do you think furries literally react? talking about furries, the term? Yeah. I mean, like and like it. it and this is evidence of the fact that, like, unlike demons of yore, like your Lee Atwaters and your Carl Roves, mm-hmm. who were like seasoned political operatives, who are they turning to now? Christopher Rufo and guys who like go on Nick Fuentes's live yeah. streams. It's you like, know, it, it's because it, it's interesting because like the people who were doing this used to be kind of like the party operatives. You went from like Rince Priebus saying like, "Yo, Hillary Clinton's a cap," to like just having cat <laughs> like be the RNC honorary code chair. <laughs> It's like it's like if in 2016 Bernie's campaign released statements condemning illegalist anarchists. Yeah, or like they just started like putting out stuff about like um, Hillary Clinton being corn cob in the Michigan primary. Yeah, it, that that's not far off from that. Like literally, the Arizona Republican Party just tweeting wojacks about Mark Kelly. Yeah, the astronaut. <laughs> that was, the oh astronaut soy that was jack. my favorite. Yeah. That was my absolute mm-hmm. favorite piece of political memeing or, or political campaigning yeah, in Chad's the last twenty Blake years. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, can you believe? Can you believe this fucking pussy astronaut? Yeah, <laughs> explaining explaining Groiper to a Korean War veteran. Yeah, that's what they did. <laughs> Along with that, and the photo of him just explaining and then firing a silenced Walther PPK in the <laughs> desert. Yeah, <laughs> I loved. Um, did you ever see when uh, Stefan, boring as heck, put Mikey Miles captions mm-hmm. on Blake Masters' pictures? And no, it, I didn't it see that. It syncs up perfectly. It really. Like, like, what, what was it like? It would be like uh, the day after it got called for for Kelly. It was um went up for a job today and didn't get it. Feeling a little bit discouraged, <laughs> but I'm not going to stop. I'm a future. I know that I have a bright future if I just keep knocking on doors. Just a kid from New York. <laughs> food porn. Food gas. Yeah. <laughs> he has that same like uncanny smile as Mikey Miles. Yeah. It's By the way, insane. just a kid from our, just a kid from our creep shots. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, if you send Blake Masters a photo of yourself, your pet, your your mom or your dad, he will draw a picture of it and, and share it with you. So <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what he's up to now. Um, they th- I, it, I think Blake Masters is the perfect example of GOP overconfidence in 2022 mm-hmm. because you like you would not let Peter Thiel buy that guy's nomination if you if you thought it was going to be a tough year. Mm-hmm, yeah. And they did that in several states like they were like trailing in Ohio for like four months because they went with the Thiel guy there. J.D. Vance. Yeah. It, it, well, it was the only one that did win. Yeah, barely. He actually under uh, he underperformed just like as badly as any of the other guys. The only one because it was Ohio. He did worse than Trump against Biden in this in the state. Like uh, they had like a human elf, Mike DeWine, uh, who was running for governor there. uh, And he won by like 25. So (laughs) it wasn't exactly a hard environment. And he did pretty poorly because of that. I in the literal sense, I don't feel bad for Mike DeWine. But like in some spiritual sense, I do, because he was like. He's he has the face and the name of an Iran Contra co-conspirator, mm-hmm. but he was just he's in the wrong era. No, he's actually not really. He was first elected the public office in the seventies. If he grinded harder, he could have been there. Oh yeah, he was slacking. He wasn't in the bullpen. In he the wasn't. 80s. No, he was. He yeah. was like he was in like the like the single A like uh, Hamilton County Board of Commissioners team. Oh my. Oh my God! Yeah, he's. Old. I didn't. I thought he was in his like sixties. No, he's yeah. Ancient. He's seventy. He's so old. Years old. He, he was a Christ. senator for three terms, lost, and then came back and became governor twelve years later. And he's like the most popular man in the country. 
Yeah, he's a, he's a popular governor who like probably has a grudge against Frank Church. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Like like campaigned against him in person. They need to <laughs> like that's what the like the twelve year old Republicans. You need to have Mike DeWine stand. You're standing for the wrong people. Yeah, Mike De, Mike DeWine. I don't. Yeah, if you're a thirteen year old who's just coming out of his um, integralist stage, mm-hmm. start yeah. standing, Mike DeWine. Yeah, he's a good place to start <laughs> off from. I mentioned in, in, in the piece about the history of anti-trans politics, you have a long list of quotes from loser candidates mm-hmm. and like how much they lost by. And look, out of, out of, out of, out of no, like, you know, th- this is no virtue on my part. But I got to say, I think they sunk themselves by making a lot of this about high school girls sports mm-hmm. or women's sports in general. Yeah. Because let's be honest, Americans don't give a shit about women's sports. One yeah, you're defending the honor of the WNBA. Look, the WNBA is like so unpopular. It was like like I had I knew fantasy leagues in high school where the challenge if you lost a league you had to go to a WNBA game. Like this is like what you're staking everything on. And usually conservatives especially hate women's sports because it you know empowers young girls. Yeah, and you, you know how <laughs> do like, something other than get pregnant. The fascinating thing about this it's like the Republican like consulting class now is either like it's like uh, Eric Schmidt is swagging out like like twenty year old like weirdos. Are like just like eighty year old like people who were around during Iran Contra because they are bringing up the women in sports things because they think it's an own against Birch Bay for writing Title Nine in nineteen seventy one. They think they're they're getting him by his own logic there. That's what that's where it comes from. So. Uh, you, you, you talked a bit about like uh, how they they've, they've sort of sunk themselves because they've begun to believe exactly what they want to hear, and they yeah. begin to hire people and like um, speaking of the right of people like Christopher Rufo or young based grapers who mm-hmm. let them know that they're cool and cutting edge and like the you know and that penises are being amputated like by the millions every day in this country. Mm-hmm. But let's let's start, let's start let's let's turn to the other side of the aisle because you have two very good pieces on your Substack called uh, "The Art of Losing" that focus mm-hmm. on Beto O'Rourke and Stacey. A. Abrams. So like you, you, you mentioned that this is a similar, a similar phenomenon is going on with like uh, with these two much hyped Democratic uh, candidates. So like what is the Democratic version of what, what is what is Stacey Abrams and Beto O'Rourke telling Democratic donors and the people who run these campaigns and me- do these media buys that they want to hear that isn't necessarily true? Well, I think um, Stacey Abrams and O'Rourke are slightly different. They're like similar, like in that they were both like they were in two like kind of historically Republican states and they represented like the future of the party. But they are different in the sense that like Abrams is much smarter than Beto. Beto is actually kind of like stupid. Like that's why he ran for president. She didn't like she was running for vice president. But like Beto, I don't think was doing some nefarious scheme. He's just like really like confident in himself. He believes in himself. He thought like he like was the guy. And he like he actually kind of like did pretty well his first run. He did like very well, like actually. I, no, like you you mentioned in the piece, like how how impressive him almost beating Ted Cruz in that mm. Senate race was. Like he came within less than two points, I think. Yeah, it was two point three percent. But then, but then he immediately. <laughs> yeah, just set it, it all on just, fire. Yeah. yeah, it was like uh, like death of a salesman. But if he made one good deal, and then just like the whole thing happened. <laughs> Yeah, we um I remember us remarking on this during um during his uh run for presidency and you talk about it in the piece when he presents a sort of like something that no one else has tried before really an ultra maximalist social liberalism where there's like no no economic policy really mm-hmm. nothing nothing safety net related but it's stuff like we're going to take tax breaks away from churches that was so cool <laughs> we will make we will make burger illegal yeah, yeah. 
That was the version of like, um, he was literally doing, we're going to make burger illegal. And it was funny because I think it was just like he had so much exposure to Republican attacks against him that he just sort of like felt like, okay, this is what we believe. So he was like going out there and he's like, okay, guys, so we really want to like, we only want NATO to get involved in the Iraq war so bin Laden can win, right? And people were like, no, (laughs) fuck off. What are you talking about? (laughs) Gonna make your guns into mosques. Yeah, it's like, okay, guys, we really don't want... We, we really don't want the troops to get body armor. We're just lying about that. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, uh, Beto is just kind of, a, kind of a bimbo. But, like, I mean, like, the, the example of Stacey Abrams is that I remember, like, when I saw media, uh, like, you know, her campaign ads or whatever, it was always in this tone of, like, we deserve better. We're so mm-hmm. much better as a people. You know, like, we can rise above all this, which I say cap no we're not better than citation this. needed uh, obviously yeah. not and like none also, of us like, are nearly as good as her i could not like funnel 40 million dollars of campaign donations into my friend's law firm i could not do that you're better than me <laughs> but like do you see what i mean like in that terms of like of like for the, mm, dem- for the yeah. democratic donor class and the media class they have a very distinct like like you know like mythology that they're telling themselves is true that isn't and that's it. And that's this idea that like there's this like uh, there there are better angels out there that are willing that are like that are by the way completely unrelated to people's like material like, yeah. economic concerns and issues in their lives. They're just sort of if you can appeal to like just like the the like the soaring orator, you know the the you know like appeal to people the the good inside everyone's heart. Yeah, and, like they'll know that they deserve better. And it's just like people are like I deserve healthcare. What the fuck are you yeah, talking about? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like the thing about like appealing to better angels is you don't really have to try. All you have to do is they just exist and you appeal to them. You don't have to put in any work. You don't have to put a coalition. You don't have to make any promises or act on them. You don't have to really like create a message. It's just it's there for you. And you just have to be brave enough to double down on what you already wanted to do in the first place and take it. And that was exactly what her her whole thing was doing. And what's funny about it is that like she actually did have very concrete goals and she's never met them. She said she would register like 140,000 voters like in 20 fucking like 13 and she like registered like 10,000. She said like she was going to make black voters like 30% of the electorate. They were 26 last year. Like she has failed at all these concrete goals. It's not hard at all to tell that she isn't living up to it, but people don't want to hear that she's failed. They want to believe in a world where she is at least trying and succeeding. So that's how she's I believe in the world where she's president of planet Earth in the yeah, literally president of Earth. (laughs) So on the nose, they made that too easy. I felt like not including that because it's just really just like, come on, make it harder. It is a real article of faith uh, among the liberals about her. Like you point out, hey, she has won zero elections. They'll say, yes, but all of her vote. Get, uh, mobilizing has gotten all these other people elected. That yeah, she's just selflessly giving her electoral Which mojo to uh, Warnock and fucking Ossoff or something. Which like is funny because she like was on the same ballot as one of them finally, and she did ten points worth worse than them. Literally, should not be possible in a state in Georgia. Our elections are the census. Like we we like don't <laughs> like it's so racial here. It literally is just like. <laughs> It, it just is like white people vote Republican, Republicans vote like black people vote Democratic. It should not. There should not be any instances where there's crossover more than one percent. In 2020, that was the case. Like there, the difference between Biden and like Ossoff was one percent. Between Abrams and Warnock, it was ten. What accounts for that? 
because she, she sucks. Really sucks. She's terrible. She's like the worst. She's like the worst politician she ever. She's like she's like 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 atrocious. Like oh my god. It, like she it, she just doesn't even try. It's like incredible. Like the stuff that she says. It she's like like what everybody thinks like Bernie Sanders campaign strategy was. She actually put that into practice. She's liter- literally quotes from her campaign saying we don't want to reach out to like suburban voters because um they vote too often and that's not what we're trying to do. And then she loses because she did like 20 points worse in the suburbs. Like, I'm sorry, but uh, like, I can't feel bad for you if you're not trying. Even like the little things, like uh, every part of that campaign, both campaigns was just like missteps all the way. I remember the one ad very early in her campaign, this go around where uh, she's in, she's in like a kindergarten classroom. Oh my God. Yeah. She has all the like toddlers wearing masks, but she isn't. Okay, that is not weird. You guys are not going to believe that this actually happened, but I saw this on my TV and I think I could find like a clip of it. That's not the only, that's not even the worst thing she did around kindergartners. Not in that way. uh, uh, She had an ad where she was like in like a kindergarten classroom and she was talking about all of her plans and some kids were like, wow, that's awesome. Expanding Medicare is awesome. Man, the maternal health gap is terrible. How do you know all this, Stacey Abrams? And she looks in the camera and she says, I shit you not, I did my homework. And then the ad ends. <laughs> oh, my God. Check my math and check out my plan. Well, how'd you figure it out? I did my homework. Oh. And I watched that. I was like, she's going to get 10% of the vote. They're going to make Kemp the king of the state. That is like that is like she's in a Brewster's Millions thing where she has to spend as much of David Geffen's money as possible mm-hmm. while losing yeah. an election. Yeah. Just... I, well, I couldn't believe it. it. Like, she had, like, weird art house cinema for, like, her abortion ads. Somehow, like, managed to make that, like, a liability. It was, <laughs> it was the same director as the Romanian film, Four Weeks, Three Months, Two Days. Yeah. <laughs> it's basically that. And it's, like, that wasn't even the worst money she spent. She had a TikTok hype house. She bought yeah. a house, like, with 13000 house. Yeah, she had a swag truck. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal the swag truck. I want it. <laughs> pussy wagon yeah uh but uh i mean like in terms of like uh, uh pleasing things that uh people like to hear that aren't true i mean i suppose i have to you know to turn turn the analytic glaze back on myself with what you mentioned about the idea that you can win elections by activating non-voters or people uh-huh. who haven't voted before I mean, yeah. it sounds good, right? Like, it's actually you know, the like opposite. That it's actually the opposite. I'd like to you imagine want, that's true. Yeah, you want but, turnout to be as low as possible if you want anything left wing to get passed. This is like very consistent. Like surprisingly, like the worse, uh, like the lower turnout is, the less people who are voting, the better left wing candidates do. Like it's like that was like I kind of overshot my twenty twenty two predictions a little bit because like Democrats were winning Alaska because like in special elections because they were off year. Because the only people who vote in those elections are like committed liberals who were so mad about Trump that they just like like just vote every single time, and that was sort of the case within the Democratic primary too. And this is one thing that the Bernie people did that I never really understood. Bernie's best races were always caucuses because the only people who went out the caucuses <laughs> were fucking were, weirdos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the weirdos, like sad as it is to say, were always like have the best politics, at least in that case. So like you had stuff where Bernie was winning like Washington by fifty points because it was a caucus. Like he was getting tons of delegates out of there. It really sustained his momentum. But then they, they have the big thing after the election. We're like, OK, we're ready to make concessions. What do the Bernie people want? How do we like fix the process? There's like the new McGovern-Fraser Commission. And the Bernie people said, we have to get rid of all the caucuses because they're not representative. 
It's like, yeah, that's true. But like you guys were doing that. It was your best thing by far. And then in 2020, they have every single election as a primary besides Nevada, which he wins by 30 points. And then every single state where he had a former caucus, he does like 30, 40 points worse and loses outright. Yeah. So like it, that was frustrating to see happen in real time. Bernie, Bernie seemed to have a similar electoral profile, though more successful, similar to Ted Cruz in 2016, Mm -hmm. where he benefited from like extremely passionate supporters. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting that Warren never did much better in those things. I guess like, yeah, it's a different type of nerd. It's geeks versus nerds. Like, yeah, rap battle thing. I, 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 the thing with like activating non-voters, that was like Mm -hmm. a lot of the theory behind 2020, which I think sort of noble in ambition, but it just, it's, it's impossible to do with like a year's notice. You can't activate non-voters with like a year of lead time. That would take like a decade of organization. Yeah, that's you also cannot get it by spending any money on fucking advertisements, which ends up being the vast majority of your expenditures. And that is literally going into the garbage if you're trying to reach non-voters. And the issue is it might actually be actively counterproductive to have higher turnout. Like that's what happened in the Rio Grande Valley. You had these areas that like had very low turnout and always voted Democratic. And then their turnout doubled and nearly all the new voters were Trump voters. That's why I have pioneered the ideology of a Marxist campism. We're going to be passing new Jim Crow laws because of the way <laughs> demographics work. It'll just cause like socialists to win every election. <laughs> you know, FDR did get 99% of the vote in South Carolina in all of his elections for that reason. Now that's a celebrationism I can yeah, believe. In. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. To, in order to vote, you should have to have eight forms of ID. Your original yeah. birth certificate, like the one from when you were born, no copies. 10,000 Twitter followers minimum. 10,000 Twitter followers. You have to pass a Kafka test. Yeah. yeah you have to, you follow have to inflation a, weighted, so it'll be 15,000 in a couple of years. You have to pass a literacy test, but it's all based on Jay Sakai's settlers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. If you say like a much to his um, like astonishment, you're out. You have to quit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's how politics works now. You want to have as little people voting as possible under any circumstances. <laughs> And that's how you win. That's how Obama won. <laughs> and, uh, and and how do you, and how do you see uh, uh, Joe Biden and the Democrats pursue? I mean, it seems like they're doing a pretty good job of just demobilizing people politically. Yes, entirely. that's the, that's what's like, so genius. Yeah. You run an eighty-two-year-old man who nobody likes and nobody's going to vote. You're going to have the first two-person <laughs> election, and then like they'll win every time. So I, I like that. I wish that that was their actual strategy. It'd be probably be smarter than what they're actually doing. I mean, we have talked about how um, Hawley versus Kamala Harris would be the mm-hmm. 30,000 vote election. Yeah. It Is would it also possible be a that Kamala sweep? Yeah. Kamala could yeah. be playing the long game. She would get all those 30,000 votes. Yeah. <laughs> it would be, yeah, it would be like George Washington's election. She would win by acclaim. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, she would. you know, 1% of the inhabitants of of the United States are able to vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what? This is materialist. It's like it fits in with the Vanguard Party. The smaller the electorate is, the higher proportion the Vanguard Party makes of the voters. That's why Mary Paltola won. Uh, do you guys have anything more? Or should we uh, wrap it up there? I, I I think we're good. You guys have anything? Mm-hmm. I just um uh, I I have a point to make. I think um when you're reading the electoral history of transphobia article, it is free. When you get to the part that's about um uh, where I'm listing all the names, uh, that is supposed to be led uh, author's intent 
you have to be listening to the Layla piano uh, thing. From- <laughs> that is um, how it's meant to be read. It's, uh, if you're not doing that, you're not doing it as it was meant to. Well, uh, Ettinger Mentum, I want to thank you mm-hmm. for uh, joining us today. And uh, if people want more of your your election your election p- prediction and political analysis, where should they where should they head? Uh, um, Ettinger Mentum Twitter also. Um, uh, my Substack. Also, you can just like show up to my house. Like I'm doing a front porch campaign. I'm I'm on my McKinley shit. I'll just like talk <laughs> to you. <laughs> we'll have uh, links to everything in the description. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, we've long been yeah. admirers of the newsletter. Um, I pointed mm-hmm. out how um, you, through numbers and historical cases, you help bolster my gut feeling prediction for the midterms. Yeah, um, I'm going to write a thesis, like when I write it about normal depolarization, I will call it the normal whites theory. Thank you. That's all <laughs> I ask. Yeah, it's true. It literally is what is happening. Racial depolarization. That is what happened in every single state. It was true. Yeah. But yeah, um, we love that. We love the newsletter. Um, mm-hmm. we've, we've really enjoyed uh, all the analysis you've brought. Uh, and yeah, no, everyone, everyone who, um, you know, use your Substack Prime. Mm-hmm. on editor yeah we're gonna be partnering with amazon soon so you can read it with amazon prime jeff bezos says he's a really big fan of the transphobia thing i don't think he read it uh he got the edition uh um, this is a big yeah. fan of transphobia yeah yeah i know <laughs> that's what he reached out to me that's what it sounded yeah, yeah. like but yeah also i do like streams with uh spencer uh every once in a while we're doing dark souls tour right now uh so will you will you be live streaming trump's execution tomorrow yes we will yeah okay cool <laughs> Yeah, we're not going to be right. showing it. We'll just be talking about it. He's going to be, he's like fighting the uh, the Sentinels or something. So we got to get through that first. But yeah, we'll be doing that after that. Okay, well, uh, before we go, I have one more big announcement to share with you. And that is the official launch date of the Movie Mindset miniseries. Not just the official launch date, but the official launch party and screening. That's right. This upcoming Thursday, April 27th, at 7 p.m., we'll be hosting a screening and live you know, podcast episode of Movie Mindset. Hessa and I will be at the Roxy Hotel and Cinema to present a 35-millimeter screening of John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness, a movie that we selected because I think it uh, is, is, is the closest to demonstrating uh, basically my thesis uh, with the whole Movie Mindset project is that uh, movies have the ability to alter reality for the better. Yeah, shout out to Hessa. She helped. Uh, she actually did review, um, did some editing for my Transphobia article. She was helpful. She helped me choose the picture for it where it's the guy who just looks really lost <laughs> which I think was a good choice. <laughs> Folks, more and more people are saying they love Hessa. And Hessa mm-hmm. and I, once again, the Roxy Hotel and Cinema, 35 millimeter print of In the Mouth of Badness. We'll be introducing the film, having a little uh, mini podcast episode afterward. Drinks. If you haven't been to the Roxy Hotel and Cinema, it's a trip. It feels like the hotel from John Wick. But mm-hmm. uh, we're very excited. And then on the same day, April 27th, will be the release of episode one of Movie Mindset, which, uh, let's see, should I say what it's about? I know I shouldn't. Okay, I will. The first episode, the inaugural episode of Movie Mindset, will be Hessa and I talking Tony Scott and Denzel Washington. So there's a little, little preview of things to come, but there will be a link for tickets to see a screening of John Carpenter's In the Mouth of Madness with Hessa and I at the Roxy Hotels and Cinema in Manhattan. So I hope to see you guys all there. And also, I got uh, a little thing. So as 
Uh, Hell on Earth is wrapping up. Uh, it's gonna we're gonna hand the baton over to Will, but before that, uh, Chris and I are going to put together a episode containing uh, our final thoughts, some wrapping up. Uh, it might be a stream, it might be a podcast. Either way, though, we would like to get some listener questions. If you listen to the show and you have anything that you feel like you want more information about, uh, a little more uh, a deeper dive, uh, clarification, uh, let us know and we will address some of them in that program. Uh, so as with the other call-in shows, please leave a, a voice memo under 30 seconds for the love of God. Uh, and email it to calls at chapotraphouse.com, and we will talk about some of those in the show. Yeah, I would I have the first question. I was I, I was a listener of Hell on Earth. I loved it. It's actually not a question. It's more of a statement. It's called, you have to play <laughs> EU4 or I'll kill you in real life. <laughs> you have to figure it out. I'll teach you. I've been playing EU4 for 10 years, half of my life. I, I did an, a world conquest on that shit. It took me a full week. That would like, be a good stream. That would be a good Twitch stream. I yeah. tried to do it once. Uh, me and Chris tried to do an EU stream like before we even recorded uh-huh. it, and we couldn't get it to go at the same time. They have a but... wars of religion mechanic, man. They have a Catholic league and a Protestant league. You just have to like play for 150 years uh, in real time. 150. We should definitely years. set up a stream where, where yeah. you know, Josh teaches you I'm, to play I'm going, EU. I'm going to have access to a gaming rig type deal in the mm-hmm. near future, so when I get oh, yeah, that set up, go. maybe I'll give it a shot. Yeah, it only took me the better part of a decade to gradually run all the systems. <laughs> <laughs> Matt's a quick study. Yeah. No, I would need somebody to do the actual clicking. I'm not fucking with that stuff. He's I'm the not ideas learning man. the tables. <laughs> not in a million years am I doing that shit. No, I, I got those fucking du- screens I and Dutch I get a migraine. I got the Dutch Republic gameplay optimized. I, I, I can do like an any percent like Eastern Colonies, like a um, Spices speed run. I'll get the <laughs> money real fucking quick. Yeah, All right. the, the Ottoman vassalage hacks. The <laughs> frame perfect Syria vassalization. I got all that. All right. Once again, thank you to Ettinger Mentum for joining mm. us today. That does it for us today. Until next time. Bye bye, everybody. Bye.